Uh, well, it's so good to be back with you all today. Uh, thank you. Um, yeah. So I, I want to encourage you maybe to start praying about, not only pray for workers uh, there uh, in spoken word, but maybe even you yourself potentially going into the mission field for a short term. Uh, we can get you some training and get you prepared, but, but uh, where I was at in Kakuma, Kenya, I'll tell you this much, uh, there is a movement of the Spirit of God there that isn't, it, it's, when God is moving in such a way to bring about a harvest, it's almost like just uh, incredible, it's unreal, and, and in, there in Kenya, if you share the gospel, I, I guarantee somebody will give their lives to Jesus Christ, that's the way it is right now. I mean, you'll have people turn away, but many people will give their lives to Christ. They've never heard the gospel before. They're ready to receive. The Lord is just moving among these people. And, uh, and the workers are, we need more workers. And uh, we, we definitely are, what we're trying to do there is really raise up those that are already there to go out. Uh, but where we come in is the encouraging factor that helping them learn Bible stories, helping them go out, helping them learn management skills, uh, encouraging them to go. And, it, it, you know, you don't realize what an encouragement you are, but, but like, for instance, uh, I went and visited some of our oral Bible schools that were going on. Just them knowing that they had a special guest visitor coming. They had people who would come to the oral Bible school. They weren't even actually in the oral Bible school yet. But they came because they wanted to hear who this guest is who's coming. We'd share Bible stories. We'd talk. They'd get saved. It was just incredible uh, how people would give their lives to the Lord Jesus. So, and even among the Turkana people, uh, to bring the gospel to people that is mostly illiterate and they don't have access to the word of God, but yet they're so ready to receive it. And uh, it's really special. I, I have this little testimony video that I shared in the morning. Uh, this man's name is Ali. And Ali, it might be a little hard to understand him at first, but Ali has been totally born again. You not only hear it in his voice, he has this excitement and this fervor for what God's done. Now, he has already graduated the Oral Bible School, but he shared his testimony a little bit with me. This was kind of an impromptu conversation, but I like, kept it going because I was like, this is so good. So here's Ali. My name is uh, Ali Ibrahim. Uh, I'm born again. And, uh, I study in uh, OBS, which is Oral Bible School. I'm become now a team leader. We have decided to to go outreach to the camp of uh, Jesus Christ, who I have accepted in my heart. He is in my heart, and would like to take him to other people. Uh, to accept him also. And uh, my story that has changed me was the story of uh, uh, Exodus 17, the, the rock, rock one. And the story changed my life. And uh, I will take Tim in a, to the mission, to the camp. And I would like you brothers, may put us in prayer. Pray more that uh, the word of God should proceed ahead and, uh, and uh, we, the command of Jesus Christ should be fulfilled, that we should preach the gospel. I hope this way of obvious 
would have been preached. This method is the best method. I, I hope or I wish could have been used long time ago for everybody to accept Christ because it's a simple method for illiterate and illiterate people to, to hear the message and accept Christ in their life. And Ali, were you a Muslim before? I'm, a, I'm, I'm even Muslim family. Oh, Muslim family. Uh, we don't know Christ, but uh, I came to, to read Bible. I came to read Bible just to know English. I read uh, uh, Roman, the book of Roman, which is telling us uh, how, how is the heaven, the life of heaven, the life of hell. So I got afraid. I got, ah, I can't go to the hell, I don't know. <laughs> uh, then I start proceeding, reading, reading. Well, one night, one night I saw, uh, in my dream, I saw two hands, two hands cutting my heart with a knife, then sweeping out the blood, the dark blood. And uh, I wake up, I woke up from my sleep. Oh, who is this that's cutting my, my heart? One pastor said that uh, Jesus has changed your life. From there, I become I knowing Christ. Then the final place I got really salvation is when Pastor Rafael came in Kakuma. When he shared the story, I was having some uh, still problem. Yeah, I told him, yeah, when he shared the story of uh, Exodus 17, he asked a simple question. Who faced this problem like Israelite in the wilderness? I said, I am not... Uh, having a rest for the soul. I said, okay, let's pray. When we pray, I feel like uh, the water falling on me, for it could. Uh, I said, I, I say, okay, what is this? Imagine. And uh, the final, uh, the following night, I, then my life changed. I, I'm free. I'm free. Amen. Amen. I'm free. I'm free. I love that. You know, uh, Ali is uh, Nubian, and uh, if you kind of know the history of that area, uh, the, the Nubians from the, the, the mountains of Nuba, and, which is now currently the Sudan or North Sudan, uh, we tend to call North and South Sudan, but it's really just the Sudan and South Sudan. But uh, before it was split into two countries, when it was just Sudan, uh, the, there was uh, warfare that broke out, and it was over politics. We, we all heard it here in the West, kind of like that it was Muslims versus Christians, but that wasn't really the case, although it turned into a genocide upon uh, Christians as well as different tribes, uh, including the Nubians. Um, there's a lot of persecution of the Nubian people, but many were Muslim, just like Ali. And uh, so they fled s- to south to a camp which is now in northern South Sudan called Ada. And then from there, when, in South Sudan, when they broke into their civil war, they fled further uh, down into Kakuma. And, uh, but along this, this path, these individuals are meeting the Lord Jesus Christ as they've been moved from their homes, moved out of this, you know, what was normal they're finding Jesus Christ and finding salvation. And it's really incredible. So Ali is one of those individuals who not only became born again, but now he wants to do everything possible to reach people with 
the truth of the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can just see his excitement and his fervency. And he was really excited because he's selected as one of the team leaders now for his area. So he's, he's really excited for that. Uh, and then we also, while we were there, a woman was texting Rafat, who was also an oral Bible school graduate. And just to refresh your memory, oral Bible schools, uh, they go through... 296 stories of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It can take, depending on what school they're in and how many times a week they meet, it can go anywhere from one year to two and a half years, uh, just depending. But uh, this woman had graduated the Oral Bible School. She also came from a Muslim background, received the Lord Jesus Christ as her Savior, graduated OBS, and then uh, decided that her family, who was in Ada, which is on the border of South Sudan and North Sudan, They've never heard about Jesus. So she decided, I've got to go there and bring Jesus to them. And so she went to there, and Rafat starts receiving these texts that she's started an oral Bible school on her own. She just started it up, and she has 80 individuals attending. It's incredible, yeah. So uh, it's, it's uh, right now, currently, for spoken word, we have over 100 oral Bible schools happening uh, right now. We got to visit a few of them, but uh, truly the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And uh, now in northern Uganda, which you guys have seen that ministry center in the past, that's 95% done. So for a Westerner to go, you have a toilet, you have a shower of water. It's a lot easier than staying in the camps. Uh, it's something that would be very feasible and easy to do. Uh, in Kakuma there, you saw the ministry center. By the time I left, there was tile uh, everywhere, which was exciting. There wasn't, it wasn't when I got there. And uh, we had been doing some improvements, working on things. Uh, still no water yet. We're working on that. Uh, but uh, there were less spiders and less uh, camel spiders and all that good stuff. It was uh, becoming less mosquitoes. So, so uh, it's almost there for, for those who don't like roughing it. It's almost ready for you, okay? <laughs> so, um, but uh, there's a lot to do. And, uh, and we're also started building a small church just north of where we're at in Kakuma in Calabia because it's quite a distance. Uh, with the goal of the Turkana people. We want to r- really reach the Turkana people. So, and the Tur- reaching the Turkana is going to be very difficult because these are shepherds and they live way out in the bush. And uh, so if we can raise up Turkana around the cities who understand that lifestyle and then send them into the bush, they, they'll, it'll be amazing uh, work to do. So that's kind of what's going on. And uh, and so maybe pray, at least pray for workers, but if not, maybe the Lord's already moving in your heart that you'd like to go, and you'd like to go for a short-term trip. And uh, I'd love to help you get prepped for that, uh, get you the training, and uh, it's, uh, God will use you, so it's really wonderful. I know everybody's like, whoa, 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 I love the Lord Jesus, but don't put me there, you know, no. but uh, yeah. So it's kind of amazing. So uh, maybe, and even if you have a family, we, uh, the center in Uganda, you could take your whole family to. So talking to you, Katie Mefford. No, just kidding. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, all right. We're in 2 Kings. Uh, there it is. I was like, where'd my notes go? All right, we're in 2 Kings tonight. This is exciting. I want to thank Neil and Benny for teaching uh, the, while I was gone. So 2 Kings, 
we have a fun text tonight. This is a, this is a good, well, the first part's not fun. The first part's disgusting, but then it's going to get fun, okay? So just hang in there. Yeah, let's pray. All right, Lord God, we thank you for your word. Lord, now we ask you to teach us. We thank you that your word is so powerful and so effective, Lord, that it pierces joint and marrow, soul and spirit, Lord. God, that your word is powerful to correct, to train, Lord, to exhort us. And so, Lord, we ask for you to do the work that you intend to do on us tonight. Lord, we pray that we'd be transformed, and we pray that we'd just be encouraged. We thank you, Lord, and we pray this all in your name. Amen. Okay, we're in Acts, or Second Kings chapter 6, starting out at verse 24. Now, let me, before we read, let me just say this. So we left off last week with this incredible story of the, these Syrian raiders who were coming into Israel and um, Elijah basically allowing this whole army to be captured and then marching them into Samaria and delivering them over to the king. Of course, Elisha showed them this great mercy. He told king, the king, uh, Joram, to not hurt, harm them, but actually to prepare a feast for them. And then we ended with... The verse, so the bands of Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. So we see that they they received this wonderful mercy, uh, and they said, okay, we're not coming in anymore to the land of Israel. We're going to just stay away. Well, now we get to verse 24 where we're starting this morning, or this evening. And it happened after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria. I'm going to pause there. So Ben-Hadad, although the Syrian raiders have said, we're done, we're not coming anymore to Israel, at some point in time he decided that, you know what, this time I'm bringing the whole army against Samaria. Now, remember, Jerusalem is the capital of Judah, the southern kingdom. Samaria is the capital of Israel, the northern kingdom. So, uh, so we're, we're dealing with the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, I want to say this about the northern kingdom. It's interesting that during this time period, as we see these, these, the prophet of Elisha, and of course his predecessor, Elijah, and we have the stories of the sons of the prophet, these incredible prophets all through 1 Kings, they're always coming to the most depraved part of Israel, the northern kingdom, Israel. We don't, we hear some, we've heard some amazing stories of dependence upon God from the southern kingdom, but what we've seen is that, that the northern kingdom is doing evil, has continued to do evil, has worshiped false gods, and God is sending his prophets into the northern kingdom. And so we, although we see this depraved nation of Israel and this nation that's turned its back on God, we also see that God shines a greater light into that, er- that region and, and does more even miracles to them. So, uh, so we, we pick up here in verse 25, and there was a great famine in Samaria, and indeed they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and one-fourth of a cab of dove droppings for five shekels of silver. Yeah, that sounds gross. Now, I, I'll tell you this much, that uh, the, cab, the dove droppings, it's possible. I, I read a bunch of commentaries on this because it was like, dove droppings? Like, uh, it, now, it's possible it's talking about some small uh, grains, seeds, but at the same time, I think that what we're, what we're going to see here is that the need for food is so great 
that, that people are paying uh, incredible amounts uh, to, to get uh, uh, like a donkey's head. They're actually eating their work animals. And, and why the head? Well, the bodies are probably emaciated at this point, and they're going after whatever they can. And only very, really wealthy people can afford this. In 1 Kings 10.29, we read that a horse, a live horse, which is obviously much bigger than a donkey, sold for 150 shekels. So the whole horse sold for 150 shekels. But now we're seeing that a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver. Uh, most people couldn't afford this. And during the siege, we also see that, uh, that this half of a liter of dove's dung cost five shekels, what the average worker would make in six months. That's what we're talking about. So they're so hungry and they're starved because the, this uh, siege upon Samaria, which obviously this was the way the warfare worked. You would siege a, a, a walled city and just hold them up, stop all trade, stop all commerce in and out, uh, no resupply. People start starving and basically you, the goal is to starve uh, a city into surrender. And uh, so they're so desperate and the conditions are so awful that we see them even possibly eating dove's uh, dung, which is, I know it sounds disgusting, but that's the state of where they're at. Verse 26, then as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him saying, help my Lord, O king. And he said, if the Lord does not help you, where can I find help for, for you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? Then the king said to her, what is troubling you? And she answered, this woman said to me, give your son that we may eat him today. And we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And I said to her on the next day, give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. Wow. It's hard to imagine the heart of man becoming so depraved that a mother would offer her own son to cannibalize. It's hard to imagine that. In fact, we see the depravity in the individual where they're willing to sacrifice their child for their own survival. It's, it's, a, it's a sad, it's a disgusting commentary on the darkness of the heart of man. And I know we all want to say, I'm immune to that. I would never do that. I would never do that. But truly, without Christ in the life, without the morals uh, given by us from God that are steadfast, never changing... This is the heart of man, and this is where man goes. Sacrifice your children for yourself. And so, so the king, as he's making his rounds and passing on the wall, this woman cries out to him. Now, first of all, you would think that the woman would be terrified to admit that she had done this to her own son, but actually she feels like, feels like this great injustice has been done to her because she offered her son to eat, and now this other woman's not giving up her son. As the king says this statement, he says, unless the Lord helps you, where can I find help? Uh, from the threshing floor, from the wine press? Basically, he's saying, I've got no help for you, woman. That's what he's saying. And it's interesting that King Joram, who has not really ever cried out to the Lord, he, of course, they've allowed the false worship of God and the false worship of false gods in Israel 
He's, he's saying like, look, the Lord's just abandoned us. That's what's happened here. And we're in this situation. It's interesting because God has not abandoned Israel. In fact, God actually warned Israel that these things would happen. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28. In Deuteronomy 28, God warns Israel about that they would have blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. And then God would do what he needed to do to turn Israel back to him in that season of disobedience. And so as he's warning them about the curses, if they choose not to follow the Lord, that there will be curses upon them, this is what God says in verse 52 of chapter 28. He says this to the people of Israel. They shall besiege you at all your gates until your high and fortified walls in which you trust come down throughout all your land. And they shall besiege you at all your gates throughout all your land which the Lord your God has given you. You shall eat the fruit of your own body, the flesh of your sons and your daughters whom the Lord your God has given you in the siege and desperate straits in which the enemy shall distress you. God warned Israel that in that day when you turn in disobedience from me, you're going to be besieged. The land is going to be besieged and you're going to turn in such a way that you'll actually eat your own children. And that's exactly what's happening here. Now, does God approve of this behavior? Absolutely not. God doesn't approve of this at all. But, but this is the dark heart, of sinful heart of man, where they think that it's a good idea to sacrifice our children for our own survival. It really should be the opposite, shouldn't it? Shouldn't we sacrifice ourselves for our own children? No, not to mention that never would, would God ever approve of any type of cannibalism. The Bible is very clear about that. But it shows a lack of faith in the Lord God. An absolute abandonment of the Lord God and a hopeless situation. So this woman confesses that she's not only done this, but now she's been cheated out of the other woman's son. So verse 30. That was the disgusting part. We're going to get into the good part. (laughs) You're like, good. Now it happened when the king heard one of the words... Uh, of the woman that he tore his clothes. Okay, that's an appropriate response. He goes into mourning. And he passed by on the wall. The people looked, and there underneath, he had sackcloth on his body. Then he said, God do so to me and more also if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on him today. Okay, this is the king's response. It was good that he responds in mourning. He's going to tear his clothes. Oh, oh what have we done? Oh, what, what have we become? But do you notice who he's blaming? He's blaming Elisha. He's blaming the man of God, the prophet of God, for this problem. He, the, he's misplacing the blame. Now, this is a problem with sinners. Sinners, when, we, when our sin catches up to us, and we don't want to repent of our sin, what do we do? We blame others. It's everybody else's fault. That's the problem. Everybody's abusing me. Everybody's doing wrong to me. Everybody, everybody else, everybody else. And we just keep blaming, shifting blame, and putting it upon other people. We're always the victim. And uh, what we see in our life is our life is full of an unhealthy wake of broken relationships and problems uh, we, from everywhere from failed marriages to failed, all sorts of failed relationships. And, and what do we do? We blame everybody else. But let me ask you a question. What's the common denominator in all your problems? 
<laughs> you. But no, I'm the good one. I'm the victim. But you, have you turned to the Lord? Have you gone back to him? Or are you continuing on in the same path, the same way you've been going like Joram, who's been encouraging his people to worship false gods and worship God falsely? Now he blames Elisha, the man of God, and says, listen, let the Lord do to me if Elisha's head's not off him today. Wow. How misplaced is is, uh, Joram? So, but Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. He's, he's not hidden. People know where Elisha is. And the elders of the, of the area were sitting with him. And the king sent a man ahead of him. But before the messenger came to Elisha, he said to the elders, Do you see how this son of a murderer has sent someone to take away my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold him fast to the door. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while he was still talking with them, there was the messenger coming down to him. And then the king said, surely this calamity is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? I'm going to pause there. So Elisha, as he's sitting in the house with the elders, he announces that the king's sending a messenger. And he tells them, hey, look, don't let him in the door. Uh, This is what they intend to do. And then all of a sudden the messenger shows up. And now, and the king is shortly behind him. And notice what the king says here. He says, surely this calamity is from the Lord. Is that a true statement? Yes, true statement. Calamity is from the Lord. So what's the solution? The solution is repentance and calling upon the Lord. But look at what he says the solution is. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? God's abandoned me. I'm abandoning God. Now, did God abandon Joram? No. The people of Israel abandoned God. They said, we don't need God. We, we're going to worship these other gods. We Remember, uh, uh, Jeroboam made the, the bulls, and we read this, and king after king after king, they worshiped false gods and worshiped God falsely. And so he said, I'm not going to wait for the Lord any longer. Well, verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 1, then Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time, a seah of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel. And two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Now I know that doesn't, you're not really sure what's going on here. But basically what this is saying is that a seah, which is 12 liters of flour, and two seahs, which is 24 liters of barley, are each selling for a shekel. And basically he's saying tomorrow at this time, food's going to get real cheap. It's going to be really cheap, and it's going to be readily available. Uh, remember when toilet paper was scarce, <laughs> right? <laughs> who would have ever thought? Like, who would have ever thought that toilet paper would have been the thing that you couldn't find? And people were hoarding toilet paper. And so and, and I remember it was that way for a couple weeks, you know, like even baby wipes and all those things you couldn't find. So our church was helping people that d- didn't have a chance to get toilet paper. Um, we, we thankfully had this stockpile of toilet paper just because it was our normal order for, for filling the bathrooms and stuff. And we were like, all right, let's, let's get it ready to give out. Um, and uh, toilet paper became the scariest thing. You know, that's probably the most scariest we most of us have ever dealt with in our here in the U.S. Uh, as far as something being scarce. But basically what it's saying is, but hey, tomorrow by tomorrow... The supply chain problems are all fixed. 
It's all going to be fixed, and there's going to be food with plentiful food. So he, uh, so Elisha announces this. So verse two. So an officer on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, "Look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could this thing be?" And he said, "In fact." And, and Elisha said, in fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. So what this, this officer of the king basically is doing is saying, he, he's being sarcastic. And he's saying, look, even if the Lord can make windows from heaven, could this actually happen? This is crazy. So he responds to the man of God, the prophet of God, with unbelief. Now listen, let me ask you a question. If you ask nothing from God, should you expect to receive anything from God? No. If you ask nothing from God, how can you ever expect to receive anything from God? We, we try to cast blame on God and say, oh God, why, why would you leave me? Why would you forsake me? Why would you do this to me? Meanwhile, God's never left us or forsaken us, but you've never cried out to God and said, God, save me. Minister to me. Help me. I need you, Lord. And, and so this officer basically says, oh, even if God can make windows from heaven, well, let me ask you a question. Can God make windows from heaven? And basically the, the idea is that he could just open up the heavens and provide for his people. Can God provide from his people from the heavens? Absolutely. He did it for 40 years in the wilderness. They ate manna. Their shoes never wore out. Quail ran into their camp. Have you ever tried to catch quail? Well, I've never tried to catch quail, but I've taken a shotgun out and harvested quail. That's a nice way of saying shot them. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, and it's a lot of fun. I'll tell you that much. It's a lot of fun. But, uh, but it's, it's not like you, you come home with a, enough quail to feed a city or a whole bunch of Israelites, right? The, God provided so much manna and so much meat that Israel never went hungry. For 40 years, God did this. The quail would just run into the camp. Oh, thanks for dinner. Got it. Uh, they didn't even need a shotgun. It's great. <laughs> yeah. So... You guys are, those of you guys that don't hunt are like barbarian, you know. <laughs> so, sorry. I was talking to the youth group. Uh, there was lunchtime. We were in the youth room, and I was, I was in this, like, zombie zone. And we were talking about uh, goats. And I was saying how we were uh, processing goat. Because, you know, that's what you do with meat. When you want fresh meat, you go buy the goat. You bring the goat, meh, back. <laughs> And it's, it, it's day is done. <laughs> One of the youth kids was in there going, uh, I was like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> we'll stop talking about it. <laughs> I was like, but that's how you get meat. <laughs> so anyway, so uh, God can open up windows. He can provide for his people. He can, he can give them food to eat. But this officer says, I don't believe it. Now pay attention to this prophecy because we're going to see it come true. It says, in fact... You shall see it with your own eyes. You don't believe? Fine. You'll see it, but you don't get to partake in any of it. So we'll see how that works out. Verse 3. Now there were four. I love. Okay, hold on. Let me just say this. 7 verse 3 to the end. This is the the greatest. I love this story. Verse 3. Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? 
If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall only die. Okay, I love this. This is called being a reckless abandon. These guys have nothing to lose, and they've processed their situation. And, And I'll tell you this. God loves people who have nothing to lose. We see him use these individuals all throughout Scripture. Those who have said, you know what? Here's a full surrender. I've got nothing. Remember the man, the demoniac, the man possessed by a demon uh, across in the garrisons when Jesus came across? It was that super horror movie style scene uh, where they come off the boat after the storm. They get on the land. There's this guy running around howling. He'd been chained and broken chains. He was naked and he was just a total mess. And God cast the demons out into the herd of swine and they ran down into the sea. You guys remember that story? Uh, and, then, and then what does the man do? Do anybody remember what he does? I'll tell you what he does. Look at, look at Luke. Oh, I'll just pull it up here. Luke chapter 7, uh, <clears throat> verse, wait a minute. Here we go. Luke eight thirty-eight. I put my mark in the wrong place. It says, now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him, begged Jesus, that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, Return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. And this is a wonderful story because if you remember, when the people saw the man that was healed, what did they ask Jesus to do? Leave. Whoa! You just healed this man who was demon-possessed? You should go. That's the wrong answer. But what does the demon-possessed man do? Can I be with you? (laughs) I want to be with Jesus. I've been set free. And Jesus says, no, you go tell everybody what's happened. God loves using the individuals that have nothing to lose. So these lepers are sitting out there. They're not really allowed to go into the city anyway. Uh, Where do lepers get their food from? From the city dump. You think people are throwing away food at this point in time? No way. They're scavenging for everything. They're eating bird dung. They're, they're getting whatever they can. These lepers are sitting there going, we're going to die. So if we stay here, we die. If we go into the city, even if we sneak into the city, we're going to die of starvation there. So why don't we make a plan to try to kind of get back door in, into the, the Syrian army. And, uh, and if they kill us, that, well, then we die. So there's, there's three options for death. But there's this one small option that they might not notice and we live. And we get food. So... Look at what they do, these four lepers. Now, therefore, come let us surrender the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live, and they kill us, we shall only die. Verse 5. They arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. When they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. So these, uh, these lepers kind of circled the camp. They didn't come right into the front. And when they came to the edge, they didn't see anyone there. Verse 6, for the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army. So they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired against us the king of the Hittites and the king of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact. Their tents, their horses, their donkeys, they fled for their lives. And verse 8, and when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one of the tents and ate and drank 
carried from it silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. And they came back and entered another tent and carried some from there also and went and hid it. These lepers have hit the jackpot. They show, they show up, no one's there. They eat and feast, they collect all the gold, they go and hide it, this is great. Now look at what God does though. God, this is like the original psyops, okay? The, I don't know if you've heard of the ghost army, the 23rd in World War II, uh, but actually out of this, this military elite group, there were 1,100 men they were a part of this group. Uh, out of that became fashion designers and illustrators and all these things. But their job was to convince the German, German army that the U.S. troops were moving in different locations than they actually were. The uh, ghost army, as they're called, it, it was actually classified for a long time. Now it's no longer classified. They had a patch of a ghost with lightning bolts. That was what they did. But they, they made blow-up tanks. They had vehicles with di- giant speakers where they would send out uh, sounds of a military moving. All to convince. They were the only element in the military that could wear uh, ranks that they didn't earn. And they would go into pubs in different areas with these ranks so people would start spreading rumors that the U.S. military is moving here or these, here's where the officers are. And they, they had these elaborate things uh, that they used. The, I think it was some 22 uh, operations that they used to convince the German army the U.S. was somewhere else when they were moving a different way. So this is God's version of the ghost army here. Uh, God is using the psyops. Now, isn't this amazing? God doesn't even need an army of angels. He doesn't need an army of cherubs. Some, somehow God is just giving the sounds and this fear that is terrifying. I don't know if it was just in their heads or God was making the sound. We saw in the previous chapter how God had had an army of angels there, right? There were on the hillsides when Elisha came out and prayed this that God would open the eyes of his servant, and he saw this army of angels on the hillside. Well, now we see that God just uses these sounds of an army, and it freaks out the Syrian army, so much so that they just run. Do you notice what they, they say? They say that the, is, the king of Israel has hired against us the king of the Hittites, the king of Egyptians. Now, no one's even seen anyone. But they fled the camp. Look at what they fled from. Their tents their horses, their donkeys. They fled for their lives. Everything. They, they left everything. They including le- all left all their supplies in the kitchen. Nobody packed up the kitchen here. So these lepers show up and, man, look at what the lepers do. They feast on the mercy of God. They feast on the mercy of God. They're like, they're like kings, these lepers. <laughs> I love these guys. I, this is one of those stories you could totally see in a movie, Right? Verse 9, then they said to one another, we're not doing right. This day is a day of good news, and we remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they went and called to the gatekeepers of the city and told them, saying, we went to the Syrian camp, and surprisingly, no one was there, not a human sound, only horses and donkeys tied and the tents intact. And the gatekeepers called out, and they told it to the king's household inside. So the king arose in the night and said to his servants, Let me now tell you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we are hungry, therefore they have gone out to the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, When they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get into the city. So lepers come back with this report. 
Uh, notice who they tell. They tell the gatekeeper because they themselves can't even get into the city. The gatekeeper tells the king's household. Then they say, oh, well, you know what the problem is? What you don't understand is they're out there. They're just hiding. They're waiting for us. Verse 13. One of his servants answered and said, please let several men take five of the remaining horses which are left in the city. Look, they may either become like all the multitude of Israel that are left in it, or indeed, I say, they may become like all the multitude of Israel left from those who are consumed. So let us send them and see. Therefore, they took two chariots with horses, and the king sent them into the direction of the Syrian army, saying, go and see. Verse 15. They went after them to the Jordan. And indeed, look at what the road is full of. The road was full of garments, weapons, which the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. So the messengers returned and told the king. Then the people went out and plundered the tents of the Syrians. So a seah of flour was sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. That's an important phrase, by the way, in the Bible, according to the word of the Lord. When God's word goes forth, it will happen. And unfortunately, we as humans have a hard time believing God at his word, even though over and over and over again, he proves himself to be true. But I love this. As they go to investigate it, they, they see that the Syrian army is just ditching their clothes, trying to run. They're ditching their weapons, everything. They're just getting rid of everything to run as fast as they can in haste to get away from this non-existent army, this ghost army. And uh, so the people all storm out of the city and raid the camp, and God delivers them. Verse 17, now the king had appointed the officer on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. So this is the guy who said, what? Even if God opened up the windows of heaven, could he even provide this? Could this even happen? So somehow this guy ends up becoming the gatekeeper. Now I say somehow he ends up becoming the gatekeeper. Uh, I believe this is just God's providence. Now it could be that King Joram was like, I don't like you anymore. I'm making I don't know how it happened. But anyway, he ends up being the gatekeeper. So he's put, been put in charge of the gate. But the people trampled him in the gate and he died. Just as the man of God had said, who spoke when the king came down to him. So it happened just as the man of God had spoken to the king and saying, two seahs of barley for a shekel and a sea of fine flour for a shekel shall be sold tomorrow about this time in the gate of Samaria. Then the officer had answered the man of God and said, now look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? And he had said, in fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. And so it happened to him for the people trampled him in the gate and he died. So there goes the officer who refused to believe God's word. I want to say just a comment in closing about these lepers. The lepers, as they are feasting, come to this realization that they're not doing something right. Now, was it wrong for them to feast uh, being hungry? No, not at all. But as they're feasting, they're remembering, we shouldn't be just hoarding this to ourselves. We shouldn't be keeping this news to ourselves. We, this is a, a day of good news. Notice that that's what they say. They say, uh, <clears throat> this, is, this day is a day of good news and we remain silent. And if we continue doing this, this is not good and we'll be punished. So we need to go and share this good news with the city. I can't help but spiritually 
link this to those of us who have received from the Lord Jesus Christ. We've, we've feasted from the Lord. We've received his word. We've, we've received his salvation. We, we're, we're, we're fat and happy spiritually. But it's not good for us to keep it. It's not good for us to keep it to ourselves and, and hoard it for ourselves. It's a day of good news. And while today is, is that day of good news, we should be bringing it out to the people that are starving. Now, whether or not they choose to be like the guard at the, the official at the city gate who says, can God bring salvation? Or they choose to be like the individuals who run like crazy to feast from the Lord too. That's between them and God. But we shouldn't just hoard it to ourselves. We should be bringing that good news out. We, we should be celebrating that and sharing it with those who are lost and those who are starving spiritually. Blessed are they who hunger, for they shall be filled or satisfied. It's in the Beatitudes. Jesus came to give us that spiritual satisfaction. And I want to encourage us to take a lesson from these lepers spiritually speaking, that we, we shouldn't consider ourselves just sitting around hoarding. And I, I want to challenge you on that. As you go forth in your week, just consider that. Man, I, w- I was sitting feasting on the Word of God in church on Sunday night. I was enjoying it. It was a good meal that I was partaking in. But now, am I telling the rest about this good day, this day of salvation? Something I want to leave you with tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this time in your word, and we thank you for the testimony of these four lepers. Lord, those who had nothing to lose, you used mightily. And God, we want to be those who have nothing to lose, Lord. Lord, we're not worried about our reputation, but we're worried about who, how we represent you. So, Lord, bless your people here. Lord, we thank you for the feast from your word. We thank you for your satisfying us. And Lord, we pray now that we'd be faithful stewards of this wonderful gift of mercy. Lord, bless your people. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You know, when Moses stood at the burning bush and God called him to, to that place, God revealed himself as the God of his fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And all as though, although Moses couldn't even, he, he was so moved by the holiness of the situation, he wouldn't lift his head up. But he still goes on to ask, well, wait a minute, whom shall I say sent me? And God said, I am who I am. You tell them I am has sent you. Now that's a powerful title. When you think about, I am who I am. I am the God who says, I will never leave you or forsake you. That is who I am. That is my character. I am the God of love, the God of mercy, the God who shows grace grace to you. That is my character. I'm a holy and just God. I am who I am. He's your God. Now, God bless you and keep you, and may he cause his face to shine upon you. Amen.